Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Sefer Yoel, Chapter 1. Today we start Sefer Yoel, which is a, quite an apocalyptic Sefer, but one with a very happy end. I have to say that I'm recording this podcast with an extremely heavy heart after hearing the terrible news of 21 Chayalim killed in Gaza. And so I want to begin by pointing to chapter one, our chapter, Pasukhet, here in Yoel, whose words might be reminiscent from Tisha B'Av. And we say here, Eli, Pasuk Chet, Eli, Kibetula, Chagurat, Sak, Albal, Nureha. If I translate, Eli means, not God, but Eli means, uh, say, Alalai, say, a woe. Eli, shout out, woe, Kibetula, Chagurat, Sak. The disaster will be like a young woman wearing sackcloth, albal nu'reha, in mourning for the husband of her youth. And this pasuk which talks about a disaster in which young women, not married for very long, mourn their dead husband, dressed in sackcloth, broken in the loss of their lover. Well, this scene has been playing out a little too often in our recent reality. So we're going to dedicate this podcast to the holy memory of these 21 soldiers, men who left their wives or their lovers or their children or their parents or all of them to fight with incredible idealism and sacrifice on behalf of all of us, on behalf of Am Yisrael. Baruch. Okay, so Sefer Yoel. Um, we don't know when Yoel lived. You know, sometimes the Sefer tells you that the Navi lived in a particular time of a king or we know the name of the invading kingdom and we can sort of figure out when it all happened. But here, no historical period is pinpointed. Uh, and there's a huge variation in terms of when people want to suggest that it was written. Rashi, um, for example, brings, uh, and al and bring a variety of options, uh, stretching hundreds of years. Uh, the earliest is in the time of Elisha, the prophet Elisha. Um, then there are people who think it's in the time of Manasseh, shortly before the uh, fall of the southern kingdom. Many academics match the view of the Ibn Kaspi, who's a, a 13th century commentator, who see this as relating to events during the second temple period. So we have a really broad birth here. So what's what's the book about? Well, there's something very apocalyptic about the book because we're going to see how our chapter depicts a devastating disaster, uh, an unprecedented disaster. It seems at first glance like a plague of locusts to have come to ravage the land. So, for example, if you start from Pasuk Bet, Shimu Zotaz Kenim, listen, the elders, Hazinu Kol listen, everybody in the land, Hahitazot Biamechem. Have you ever heard of anything in your days in Bimeavotechem or in your parents' time? Aleha Livnechem Saperu, this is something you're going to tell your children. You're going to talk about this for a long time. 
And then he says, Yeter ha-gazama chal ha-arbeh, v'yeter ha-arbeh achal ha-yelek, v'yeter ha-yelek achal ha-chasil. In other words, um, whatever the um, locust leave, the, gaza- the gezem uh, eats, and whatever the arbeh leave, the yelek leave, whatever the yelek leave, the chasil is going to um, destroy. And all these four different types of um, of locust are really four stages in the life of the of the locust, where they come and they literally destroy all of the food, all of the fruit in the kingdom. So, if we look at, for example, Pasuk Zayin, Sam Gafni Shama, they've destroyed my vine. Uteinati leksafa, chasok chasafa, veishlichil binus ragera. Right, they've taken my fig tree and they've broken it apart. They've stripped off the bark. They've thrown it away, and uh, we see in this in this passage in Pasuk Zayin and Chet and Yud so many different um, fruits mentioned: the Gefen, the Teina, the Chita, the Sora, the Rimon, the Tamar, the Tapuach. Everything is destroyed. Yavshuki ovish sason adam. All joy has been dried up. Even here, even the temple itself. There is no flower offerings. There is no wine pouring in the Beit Hashem. Why? Because all the agriculture is destroyed. There's nothing left in the land. So this is quite the natural disaster. Right? There is no food. Right? There is no joy. There is no happiness. There's a an absolute crisis from the the from the chapter. If you look at the last verse, for example, pasuk it almost seems yavshu afikemayim. All of the uh, water sources have also dried up. The esh achlana tamidbar. It sounds like we have this attack of locusts along with a drought. So as a result of all this disaster. The prophet calls for the religious, religious leadership, the priests, the Kohanim, and the other temple functionaries to declare a fast and to call out to God. So, for example, if you look at Pasuk Yud Gimel, the Kohanim should get out there and put on their the clothes that they wear during a fast day or during a, a moment of crisis. Put on your sackcloth, Mesharate Elohai, you functionaries of God. You haven't even got the resources to bring your sacrifices. Right? Call a fast day. Call an assembly. Call the elders to the temple. El Hashem and cry out to God. Aha liyom ki karov yom Hashem ochashod mishada yavo. This is a wonderful alliteration. Um, the 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 day of God. Let's just say a word about Yom Hashem. Yom Hashem is some sort of apocalypse day. It's a day of. Um, it's it's used in many many sfarim. We find it in Yeshayahu and Yecheskel and Ovadia and Sefania and Amos. And it's points to a day where you know. The regular orders of things are sort of maybe a judgment day. It's frequently associated with images of of darkness, of cosmic upheaval. Um, so it could be a, 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 a. I'm being careful here because, for example, the big difference 
between Yoel, wherein Yoel, usually the Yom Hashem is going to end up good and the Jews are going to come out of it well, whereas we're going to see in Amos the exact opposite view, that you have to be very careful the Yom Hashem is Choshech or in, in, in Sefer Amos. So here we see the idea of Karov Yom Hashem, the judgment day is at hand. Shod means um, everything is stolen, right? In other words, everything is being taken from the world, all of the agriculture, but it is Mishadai, right? So this is this is what we have here. Um, when I read this chapter, right, this call to an assembly and to tshuva, I remember the laws of fasts of the Rambam. And the Rambam says, Mitzvah Torah, it is a mitzvah from the Torah. If there is ever trouble, what we have to do is we have to cry out to God and we have to blow the trumpets, right? And we have to make an alert. And he says, The aim is to get people to repent because if you come along and you cry out then everybody will know that it's because of their bad actions and they will try and repair their ways they'll mend their actions and here halacha gimel he says but if you don't cry out if people say this isn't from God. This is just the way the world works. Once in a while, there is a plague of locusts. Once in a while, you know, there is a natural disaster. But Sarazu Nikra Nikrate. And this is just happens to be happenstance. It's just a coincidence. It's just the way the world works. Interesting phrase. The Rambam says this is a way of cruelty. And it calls people it causes people to um, persist in their inappropriate behavior. And then things will get even worse. What the Ramam saying is that when a disaster happens, it is a call for a sense of contemplation, uh, an assessment, and that the community are called upon to do that and to sound the alarm and everybody to examine their ways and that we shouldn't look at disasters which befall a nation as just the way of the world. We shouldn't just treat them as problems to be met in a practical way. There is always a spiritual dimension that we have to address. So that really does explain uh, what's happening here in the first chapter, this plague of the Arabeh and the call to some sort of religious response. Um, There are other ways to read chapter one, and we will talk about that in our podcast tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Lehitraot.